Hi guys, welcome to Get Real with Rick Dancer. I know for our live viewers, we're a little bit late. It was technical difficulties. And besides, who are you to tell me what to do? <laughs> if I wanna come on at nine after six, I can come on at nine after six. That's just the way it works. It's my show. God, I sound like a little pampered anchor, don't I? Oh my God. Speaking of pam pampered anchors, um, Bill London will be up at the end of our show to give you the latest in news. And uh, it's as usual, it's going to piss you off, but that's okay. Cause you know, you need to be, you need to have some anger management skills and I'm giving you some anger. So you have something to manage. Um, we're also our sponsors tonight, Chris Daniel Family Dentistry and Denturist Center. They have a denturist on staff. They can fill your teeth. They can give you new teeth. They can give you false teeth. They can pull all your teeth. Or, you know, if you take care of them, you won't have to do any of that. And they can just do the hygienic work and make sure that you're a, a great person. And they'll crown them, too. I got a couple of crowns from them. Um, Albert Taylor will have a little message at the end of the show as well. Um, they are the organization in Eugene that uh, works with people with different abilities in the community. They're awesome people. They're always looking for staff and people to work with them. Um, so that's another option for you. Um, here, we also are uh, JDEV Investments is one of our sponsors. They just renovated the old Super 8 Motel down in Cresswell, and they are currently leasing studio apartments. They'll soon have two bedroom units up as well. And the address, I'll give you the uh, address of who to contact. Uh, there is your link. It'll come up on the show and you can get that uh, going. Hezekiah is already on here. So I know we've got the glass blowers of America paying attention right now. We're going to talk to a wonderful guy, uh, Eli Mazze. Uh, he is a glass blower. Um, you are going to get a kick out of this. So what, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to start with his video. So watch this. Now, Facebook may try to shut us down after a while because they don't like music that's not theirs but we just we live on the edge here at get real with rick dancer hold on hold on hold on, hold on. wait a second rick you got to get the picture out of there first nobody told me that part hang on now we're gonna do it okay so now we'll go into making shot glasses Just like you would in Italy, they've been doing it for thousands of years. He is a sexy little corker. I like that. I'm gonna be saying that forever. Later on, what I'll do is I'll use this one to show you guys how to do an octopus on here or whatever. A lot of times when I'm going kind of underneath, when you go fishing in, it's gonna spread out anyway. That's that is so cool. So let's bring on the man. Hang on. I got to find him down here. Eli, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. I'm excited to be on here. My uh, One of my local legends of, of media to, to just sit face to face with. It's a cool opportunity and I really appreciate it. Well, I'm glad you reached out because after we had your, your friend uh, Hezekiah on and yeah. he was speaking highly of you. And then I find out like you are like, you know, kind of a big deal in the glass blowing world. I'll say that you don't have to, but I can. Yeah. Um, so how, 
Is this coming coming back? Tell me about that. You said about Italy. Is it where did the, where did glass blowing start? Well, you know, and from what I've learned, it started in Mesopotamia. So you know, the Egyptians, the Sumerians, they don't know exactly when glass um, exactly, but I did find the you know the very first descriptions of glass working with the Corning Museum, a cuneiform tablet that gives you the, a manual on how to make glass from 3000 years ago, where they would sacrifice a sheep before they, before they blew glass, they would look at the weather, they would pray to the gods. They, they, it was a very sacred thing and no one unclean was allowed in the shop. So glass blowing, like being a samurai, a samurai lives his life by the sword, but it affects his whole life. And glass blowing is really the same way, like a lot of different arts. Wow. You know, yeah. and people, people really, I think, um, you know, I know it got real popular in the bong and pipe days and, yes. and that's still going back. That's my era. <laughs> right, right, right. Eugene. I know, I know the bong and I remember how to do a supercharge and all that stuff. I was, I was around for that drug stuff, you know, that marijuana okay. stuff. But but I think that almost takes away from that. The, there's so much more to this. Oh, there's so many facets to glass that it's just amazing. And really what got me into glass was really the glass pipe. Originally, I saw my older brother. He had got a job at the oldest, bong, the very first bong company in the country. Glass bong company started here in Eugene. Well, of course it started in Eugene. Yeah. And so... You know, it ends up starting here in Eugene. I went over and I saw this guy making glass pipes and I knew right away that I wanted to do this. I, it was just amazing to watch the glass flow to shape the glass and watch the, this liquid, you know, the, the, the thermal dynamics of glass and understanding the viscosity and how it moves in the temperature range. It was just a flowing art. And I thought, man, I'm going to do this. And I went and I bought everything with one of my, my other brother just to do it as a hobby. And I couldn't do it. And it was just a, it was a real eye opener of seeing something that you really loved. In fact, I think it taught me right away that, you know, an appreciation that you had to build some skills to be able to control this thing. So what is it for you? Is it spiritual? Is it, um, is it your, just your outlet? I mean, when you're doing this, um, what does it do for you as a human being? Well, you know, it's crazy because I can't, I've, I've written a lot of different articles on glass. And one thing, when you look into the sun, they used to look actually into a candle like a crystal ball to focus, to gain enlightenment. Huh. You know? Yeah. So that's just the same thing as a Buddhist monk when he goes out and he gazes at the sun early in the morning to get enlightenment. And so looking into fire, there's something that there's something that goes on with the human mind and light and uh, you know, your pineal gland. And I know it gets kind of crazy, but just the, you know, when you have serotonin and melatonin, of course, when you fall asleep, you know, you, you don't have the light that's coming in. And so, you're not being stimulated. And I think by, from my, from my, you know, kind of philosophy, I guess that I've gathered of doing this craft is that, yeah, you, you really do get enlightenment and you, you start to dream because you look into the light, you start seeing these figures and globs and shapes that you can make and you get, so glass blowings are super dreamy thing. 
because once you start, you know, like somebody who just works a regular job that, you know, there's some people that have created creativity, but people who work in glass, pottery, painting, they're always using that, you know, it's just like when you lift weights, you, you go bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, your bicep gets big. Well, someone like me who's sitting around every morning thinking about what they can create next, that's working that muscle and your creativity practice makes perfect. And you really, you really grow off of that. And what happens is, is that you start to realize that, okay, I want to make a shot glass with teeth. That is so cool. And you imagine this thing and you make it. And then you realize after you do that over and over and over again, that this thing was actually in your mind one time, it becomes a physical reality. The older you get, you say, let's do that with a house. Let's do that with a car. Let's do that with it and making a better relationship with somebody. Right. You know, just really thinking about it and dreaming about it and the thought process, because we know it all, everything that we do starts off in our mind. So, so, So tell me about your Disney years, what this was all about. Well, you know, I was actually trained by a Walt Disney glass blower. And just an, another crazy thing, when I first got into glass, I found these mysterious videos that this Walt Disney glass blower made. And I found out that everybody in town, you know, really wanted to make pipes, the majority of the glass blowers. And so I got these DVDs and it was an eight hour, actually, um, you know, videos on how to make a dolphin, how to make a mermaid, how to make a giraffe, how to make an elk. And I watched them and watched them and watched them. And even the, the, the man who was speaking, um, all his words were so articulate. I began to gather the, the basic, you know, sayings of glass, your basic fundamentals of how to really, because people would, you, you would have misinformation and people would be using the wrong words. Uh-huh. Like, dicrylic instead of dicro but there was just so i i learned how to be articulate also on like how to tell somebody how i was making something um what ended up happening is and it's this is all a dream this this whole thing has been a dream it goes back to creating something one day i go to a show and i i'm opening my hotel door and this guy next to me is opening his door also and he says hey I heard you boys are from Oregon. Are you holding? And I looked at my brother and I was like, are we holding? And I said to him, what do you mean? And he goes, do you have any weed? And I was like, he's a Walt Disney glass blower that had been blowing glass for 40 years. I said, yeah, I sure do. He goes, I'll be over in a minute. And I realized it was the guy from the video that I'd been learning from for three or four years. Is so, that, don't you just, Eli, don't you think that's the stuff in life that people um, look at as coincidence and you go, no, there's some, right. there's this bigger story going on in the world and, 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 and the, and the, and the part of the world that we can't see that like the spiritual realm, there's this whole thing going on. And if you write it and too many people, I think get afraid and they don't ride the wave. And if you ride right. the wave, you know what I mean? You know what? I'm the, I mean, and this is, this is an ego thing. This is real. I'm an exact, you know, kind of story that, that showcases just that, you know, I, I meet this guy, he takes me under his wing, Walt Disney. I learn all kinds of stuff. The book that I, I think we've talked about, it's not a coincidence. These things happen. And so I'm a firm believer in, um, yeah, riding the wave and like, 
tapping into this stuff and really like using your mind and using your manifestation to really get everything that you want in life. And when I first started glass, I, I, I said to myself, because I loved it so much, I was like, oh, this, it was like an addiction to me. And so I was like, I want to be the number one of the number one glass blowers in the world. In fact, I said, I wanted to be the number one. And then I realized after a while that that was too egotistical. And I said, well, I'd like to be the top 100. And then it went to, if I was just the top thousand, I would be so grateful to, to leave my fingerprint of that I did something here. So, but what I like about you too, is that you, you're helping because Hezekiah, our mutual friend, yes. you helped him. Now I, I didn't know Hezekiah before this, but now, I mean, as you, now, now we're all friends. Right. And so Hezekiah comes to you and you, you're not, but you're not, you're not holding back and saying, you know, oh, I'm not going to, I want to be number one. So I'm not going to help these new people. You're, you're bringing more people into the glass world and right. giving them, giving them what that guy, oh, you're giving them what that guy gave you. You know what? It's this really cool story. I had a glass blowing teacher that was also my very first investor. I got into glass in my first six months. I met one of Dale Chihuly's apprentices. And he owned and started the float craze on the Oregon coast. The guy that brought floats back. And I was, I was in his shop one day and he was always trying to get me to make certain stuff. He said, Eli, make me a frog, make me a a seahorse, make me a lizard. He says, can you do this? And I said, you know what? I just got a book. I just bought a book. I said, it was written from a scientific glassblower from NASA I said, I'm going to go home and do the exercise in the books. It's 63 lessons. And um, I really wanted to. uh, So going back to I was in the shop and I was talking to one of my teacher's friends and I really wanted to tell him, oh, I just made this piece. I got to show him. I got to show him. Well, he was busy teaching someone. And his friend said to me, Eli, he doesn't just make glass. He makes glass blowers. You have to you have to wait, wait for him. Kind of going back to what you just said. And so. What I realized is that I had never thought about that before. And right. I remembered when I learned how to blow glass, how much it meant to me. Right. And so in turn, I said to myself, wow, if I could bring joy to somebody else who, who loved to do glass as much as me, it would almost like be converting them maybe into a Christian or a Catholic or a Buddhist, you know, give them this into the the world, the religion of glass. Yeah. And it, and it glass gives you some kind of self-worth. It gives you confidence. In fact, I could go around town. I started a booth at the Saturday market and I noticed that I could just go around town. And sometimes people would say, Oh, here comes Eli. They had never even met me before, Uh but they had seen my work. Right. And that was enough. You know, they said, we like this guy. And I, that really did something for me. So do you think it's, I mean, there's something kind of cool too about the whole, I mean, now I'm getting really like, Ooh, you know, wokey. Like, oh yeah. But because it get glass, because like the things like the, 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 the marbles that Hezekiah made me, you look into them and there's a clarity that you look through. So Glass almost gives you a, a clear, you know, I mean, you know what I mean? There's this clarity oh, yeah. that comes with looking through it. And you then know, even all your designs, like the octopuses and everything like that, they're, they're, they're colored, but you still see through them. So right. You know what I mean? And, and that's the cool thing about glass. You know, you don't look through a piece of pottery. You don't look through a piece of wood or cement. 
to know your DNA, your genetics, and look into the future a thousand years. So glass, you know, you can look online. What was the number one invention ever made? I'm actually the guy that, you know, maybe define that, which is, it, yeah, you could say the wheel. You could say this. A lot of people think that clear glass was just something natural that was made from Mother Nature, and it wasn't. It was actually made and formulated from a man named Antonio Bavario, and he was from Italy. And it was, yeah, it's how we know our DNA and our genetics and look into the future a thousand years. I think that clear glass is the number one invention ever made. Is, and, and most of us don't even think about how much we use glass. Right. But we should every time we get into our truck or a car, we're yeah. looking, it's, it's, it's protecting us. We're seeing clear through there. There's a, a shield there. I yeah. mean, every time you pick up, you know, a beer or whatever you're drinking, you know, yes. you're drinking it from some kind of glass. Um, Before plastic, there was glass there. You had a machine that would make, and that's what my, my second book's really about is the container industry. Obviously, you know, glass, the light bulb, you know, just to be able to see the light. I mean, that gave us 24 hours worth a day of work. You know, we could work 24 hours a day, you know, a lot of, you don't think about it. So is that kind of fun too, as an artist? Um, because my art um, it goes on the internet and then it just flows away or whatever. You know what I mean? That's kind of, I, I don't have anything to look at. And what I love is like Hezekiah made those the, the, several things for me. Right. And there, I have a place in my front room where those are sitting. And then your book is there with that. And it's, right. your art is in people's lives. And there, you know, when I walk by, I see it and you think of things, you know what I mean? And so right. you're like your shot glasses, you know, there's people that have those. They probably don't use them as much as they look at them because they're very, I mean, it's kind of right. like, do I want to drink out of that? I think I just want to look at it and make sure that it stays safe. But is that kind of a cool thing for you? It's cool to have a physical object to give you word of mouth. People use it. They use the functionality of it. A musician or somebody like you, you're resonated really in the mind. And that's where your physical object is really, it's not a thing that you can hold on to. But even me, you know, just watching you through the years, you're a personality that exists in my mind. And so I think that's where you really have left, you know, and a, a lot of different people where your your physical thing resonates really, which, you know, we might as well get this across just real quick is that you can picture your mom's face. You can picture your dad's face, but you can't lock it in. Well, right behind your two eyes, it goes into your third eye. There's crystals in there. That's what creates the colors in your dreams and the pictures with a little bit of electricity. So your whole life was actually housed all the images in glass crystals, organic crystals in your mind. Everything that you see in your life, you can picture your mom in a tutu running across the football field, jumping through hula hoops. You can see it, but you can't lock it in. And that's housed in glass. So what is your hope for mankind? Well, <laughs> How's that for a big question? Well, you know, I get that is a huge question, but you know, I, I guess that for in my world, in my own little world, I just, I love glass so much that all the things that you could learn about glass, it's like an onion with technology and art and just everything that glass has with it. My, I guess my, my thing and my purpose in life, I felt like 
was to, to do the glass art, but was also to help people maybe get into glass, almost kind of like Bruce Lee getting people into karate. Right. Like, along the same lines, the parallels of like showing them how to defend themselves or, or whatever, showing how the philosophy of like even Bruce Lee that when he talks and he, he, you know, he, he, he puts his art and, and his moves and his way of life. And I, I always felt like that was kind of my purpose was that I found something that was really cool. And how could I let someone else know about it, you know, and, and maybe that would spark something in them to go and, and live this dream life. I've, I've had it kind of backfire on me a few times, but you know, that's just the way it goes. Yeah. But, but look like when we did that interview with Hezekiah, um, you know, there's a lot of people, I think, and Hezekiah, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn because I'm in the same boat. I mean, I think when I found storytelling, I found my thing. And before that, I think life was kind of, I was kind of lost. I wasn't yeah. really focused. And I think, you know, if you are giving people this, this creative outlet that is, is kind of deeper than just, you know, drawing a little thing or whatever, you know, something, right. else. but you're giving people a, a reason to be here. And, and, you know, I mean, I, that's what I, I love about art, I think is, you know, and, and with even what you guys do, um, I get to, you, you put out the product, you put something out and, and, and then I think the fun would be to stand back and go, okay, so Rick, this, and this is what I do every night. Here's, I'm asking you a question. I want to know how you perceive the question I'm doing. So your shot glasses, Hezekiah's marbles, all these things, what do you see in it? It's almost more important what you see in it than it is what I see in it. Right. Cause you're doing it all the time. And so you know what, what right. works in your, in your medium and, and everything about it. It's like putting, you could put a puzzle together faster with your stuff than, than you could with glass, you know? And so you get real familiar. I always tell tell people that I shaped the glass and then it shaped me. And what does that mean? That means I learned how to do accounting. I learned how to work with people. You know, when you sell glass, you have to keep a relationship with people sometimes for 20 years. I tell people, go and try to do that. So there's more than just making the glass. You have to learn how to communicate. You have to learn how to sell yourself. You have to learn how to market and you have to learn so many same thing, different facets and you have to learn how to advertise, you know, and you have to learn how to treat people nice. And that's why 3000 years ago on that stone tablet, it said that nobody was in the allowed in the shop who was unclean. Right. That's because it doesn't work when you're having like a grudge or you're a jerk. You're not going to go in and blow glass and be this evil spirit or whatever and have something come out good. I, I really believe in in the good and evil and I think that, you know, having, you know, a good attitude and being positive, you're going to get a lot better creations coming out than someone who's negative. And I've seen that happen. Well, I think that's an interesting, uh, I mean, that's like a whole rabbit hole. I'd love to go down sometime, but it's like when God tells the people to be, to come in clean, I think, you know, it, it, it was, it, I think what we get wrong sometimes is, yeah, it was, you know, they had to kind of wash their feet, do that whole thing, but it was really a cleansing of the soul before you go before God. And right. Same. So when you're doing, and I'm not saying glass is God, so don't anybody get on me for that. But when going into the, our art or whatever the thing is that makes us come alive, we should go into it 
not carrying what Bill said about me or what John said or what right. in there clean. And because otherwise the product is going to reflect that. You know what, Eli, that's pretty heady shit. <laughs> you know what really is. And, and, and people who get into glass, they, they, their lives change. I mean, I, I was a troubled young teen and glasses really got what got me out of one. I found something that I loved to do. And, you know, other friends of mine, same thing. They had a problem with drugs. They had problems with maybe anger issues, or they just didn't really even know what the hell they were going to do at all. And yeah. I think that, you know, in the society that we live in, you're like, okay, this portion of people are going to be plumbers. This portion of people are going to work at hospitals. This portion of people are going to be mechanics. This portion of people are going to be. So they have this basic fundamental formulation in schools of what they want you to be. But, you know, they don't really have a glass school at, for, for everybody abroad. You can find it in little sp special little places, but getting real training and a real school for glass blowing, there's only really one, one or two real schools that I can think of that I would consider a real school that maybe might get you somewhere in glass. And so it's very rare, and especially in the 1990s and even before, and that's really... The cool thing is, is that I, I kind of cover that in, in my book where this guy makes a machine in 1905 that creates 243 glass objects every minute that shut down the creative process in glass for a few hundred years. Crazy. You can imagine if, if, if some guy makes a machine in 1905, it makes 15,000 objects a day. They make 17 machines 26 machines by the 1920s that there's not going to be as much art going on either because the whole, the machine makes everything now. So why would you need a glass blower at all? So that means that if you don't need glass blowers in the shop, well, there's nobody going in there to do the creative process during lunch or after lunch or saying, let's make this, let's make this, let's make that. No, they have a machine making everything, every single perfume bottle, every single milk jug. In fact, before you got milk in a glass bottle container, they would bring it to you in a carriage out of a bucket and ladle it to you. So the container industry and this glass machine that I talk about in my book was this super huge thing it's a it's an untold story really in america that the the story of the container industry right well how so, do people how do people get a hold of your book and find out more about you and you know that kind of thing you know i'm on instagram and facebook under eli maze and then i also have a website where you can get my book it's called the american shot glass and the machine so the the website's americanshotglass.com Okay. But that's really my book is really the number one selling glass book in America. And the, and the crazy thing is, is that it was a, I found out that it was a glass blower who automated the world. It was a glass blower who started the very first multinational corporation here in America. After he made the machine, he went to the Ball Brothers, to Mason, to Heinz, to a Pennsylvania distiller, a man by the name of Edward Booze. He built them a machine for the first time. You could fill 15,000 ketchup bottles a day. You could fill perfume bottles, medicine bottles. Everything before plastic was transported in glass. So the story of the container industry and, and, the, and the cool thing is being from Eugene, 
I came across maybe one of the biggest conspiracies never told. I'm almost positive that they killed the guy who made the machine. No one's ever even spoke about it. No one's, it's been hidden. They say that he never wrote anything down. Well, the machine was 10,000 parts and he had 46 patents. They say he never wrote anything down that he only wrote things down on chalkboards. The machine was built on the oldest glass street in America. It was called Libby street one day today. It's called wall street. Huh? It's so, a super fascinating story. Eli, th that was super fun conversation. I, I, I enjoyed the heck out of that. And I'm going to have to have you back for some, something else. I think we could get into some pretty heady conversations. Yeah, it would be really cool. You know, I, like I said, I, I also did a, I also did the documentary it's on YouTube. It's called Pipe Town USA. You can get it now on YouTube. I put it out there for free. It went to 28 film festivals, won 17 awards. I wrote the story on it, produced it. And it's just a really great glass film, cannabis film. That's cannabis family friendly film. Can but, you, um, you show the book one more time? Somebody's asking in my audience, show the book one more time. That's it, Tom, right there. Yep, that's it. All and right. It's, it's a great book. You guys will, you guys will really enjoy it. It is. It's got lots of great pictures too. I, I mean, I love, I just sit and look at it and go, how did he think of that? And there's, right. a, there's a couple of them. I thought, I don't know, want to know how he thought of that. Well, you know, it, the whole book is 85 artists. And so 85 artists, the top artists in the world who you could barely even squeeze something from because they sell everything they've got. Each one of them donated the glass to me to help support an untold American story. Now it's known as the number one shot glass collection in the world. A quote by a man who worked for Corning, one of the biggest glass blowers in the world. Hey, Eli, I thank you for your conversation and your time, buddy. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me on here, guys. All right, buddy. I will talk to you soon, okay? All right, take care. Thanks, man. How's that? That is so fun. Um, we have a glassblower here in Townsend. I'm going to have to go down and talk to him and see more about that. Now, I, I'm looking on here because I have a number of you guys putting up on here. Did you hear about the Chinese balloons that are flying over Montana? And yes, I have. I've had numerous emails. And the governor put out, you know what? Let me go do that. The governor put out a statement. Um, apparently, he's been briefed about all this. Uh, the governor of Montana. Um Gosh, this is hard to do when I'm trying to keep track of all you guys. Uh, Governor, will it pop up that way? Santi, where are you? Oh, shoot. But anyway, this, let me just, I'll, I'll give you what I know about this statement. Um, he said basically he was br briefed on uh, what people are talking about, that this state, somebody has, there's, I don't know if it's rumor, if it's true, but a Chinese balloon flying over Montana. And he said he's been briefed on it. And then he went on to say he was very concerned about the um, about TikTok. He was concerned about the Chinese government buying farmland in America. And uh, I have a feeling this is going to get that kind of out there for the people to look at. So I don't know anything more about the balloon. 
um, or if the balloon, but the governor has stated in Montana that he has been briefed on the situation. What that means, I don't know, but I'll just let you know that. Um, love the book. Lots of fans out here, Eli, people coming on. Love the book. I have glass all over my house. <laughs> and Tom says, thank you. Nice piece of history. We found a glass blower who lets us blow your glass and add your family ashes into hearts in Seattle. We have both mothers saved that way. That is a super cool idea. When you die to have some of your ashes put into something glass. Oh, that, that's, I, man, people are creative. Um, before I get to, well, actually I'm gonna go right to Bill's um, information. So Bill uh, London now joins us with today's, well, it's actually a, a kind of a look at what's been going on in the news. Most of it tonight is in Oregon. Um, boy, Eli, you got a bunch of fans. They're all coming on here saying, uh, yeah, Eli, Eli. So let's let's toss it to Bill. Bill? Good evening from the News Radio, 1120 AM and 93.7 FM, KPNW Studios. I'm Bill London, also known as Jorge and Guntur. Any of those work for me. Svengard is also a good one. By the way, news tonight brought to you by Dr. Michael Bratland of Chris Dental. That's right, he's not afraid to stick his fingers in your mouth and find out what the heck is wrong. And he's got an awesome staff. I can attest to this because he's my dentist. Awesome staff. All right, here's a look at some of the stories we're following. Finally, a an Oregon and nationwide dragnet comes to an end. A man who was accused of torturing a woman to near death and who evaded police for well over a week also appears now to be responsible for yet a double murder, according to the Oregon State Police. The man was found dead late Tuesday following an hours-long standoff from an apparent self-inflicted gunshot wound. We're talking about 36-year-old Benjamin Obadiah Foster. He was wanted for attempted murder, kidnapping, and assault. Police said, that while they were searching for Foster, they found a double homicide scene near the scene of where the woman was allegedly tortured to near death. The victims were identified as Richard Lee Barron and Donald Owen Griffith, both who lived on the property in Grants Pass. It's not clear what the relationship was to Foster, but police do say they believe he's the killer. Oregon State Police say multiple items were missing from the home, including a dog. Now, the standoff occurred after a man believed to be Foster was spotted walking a small dog near the Grants Pass area, near the home where the woman was tortured to death. He was considered, of course, extremely dangerous and armed. So authorities say that Foster, after a chase ensued, was found underneath the home where the alleged torture actually took place and police had to rip up the floorboards to find him. He was breathing when he was found, but he died overnight of a gunshot wound to the head. Police began looking for Foster on January 24th after responding to a home in Grants Pass because of an assault at the home. Officers found a woman in critical condition who had been bound and severely beaten into unconsciousness. That victim, by the way, is still in critical condition and has yet 
to regain consciousness. The suspect had already fled the scene before officers arrived, but was identified as Foster of Wolf Creek. Grants Pass Police Chief Warren Hensman said the assault was believed to have occurred over a protracted period of time. Now, amid this manhunt, authorities ex uh, executed a search warrant at a home in Wolf Creek last week. The suspect evaded capture and likely received assistance in fleeing. And during the search of that particular house, a 68-year-old woman Tina Jones was arrested for allegedly hindering prosecution. She's still in custody in the Josephine County Jail. The victim, identified by her family as Justine Siemens, was transported to an area hospital. She remains on life support as we speak. Foster was convicted, by the way, on domestic violence charges for two assaults that occurred in the past five years in Las Vegas. Now, in one of those, another woman was held, bound, and tortured, forced to drink lye, and choked nearly to death several times before she was able to escape. He was released from prison. He had spent so over 700 days in prison awaiting trial, and the prosecutor in the case in Nevada said, you know what, let's plea this down. So he only faced a misdemeanor charge and one felony charge of battery, because of time served, he, the judge said, okay, well, we're going to give you another 200 days. He was taken to then a correctional facility where he was released the same day. Didn't realize that Governor Kate Brown was also the governor of Nevada. Well, this is an important case and one that should be watched, particularly by people who own farms in the Willamette Valley. The Center for Biological Diversity and the Audubon Society of Portland sued the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to protect streaked horned larks, which are found in Washington and Oregon, and they say they should be listed as endangered. Now, in April of last year, the service listed streaked horned larks as threatened instead of endangered. Well, the lawsuit challenges that decision and a rule attached to the threatened listing that exempted all agricultural activities from liability under the Endangered Species Act. That rule was enacted despite the fact that radical environmentalists claim that crop conversion is one of the leading threats to the birds in the Willamette Valley in Oregon. The service first listed the larks as threatened in a special rule back in 2013, and the agency said that exempting agricultural activities from the Endangered Species Act, regardless of the harm to the larks, was necessary to ensure a certain amount of cooperation from farmers and to avoid incentivizing conversion from grass seed to other crops that apparently aren't as suitable habitat for the larks. Well, a number of farmers did what farmers do they converted to other crops. Why? Because they're in business. They're going to grow whatever is going to make the most money for them and their families. Well, the Center for Biological Diversity didn't like that. They challenged the listing in 2019. The service once again doubled down in 2022 and expanded the exemption rule to include Washington, which really isn't known for grass seed, in its finding, the service acknowledged that the conversion of grass seed to other crops which don't support larks continues. This 
If this case goes forward and a judge rules in favor of the Center of Biological Diversity in the Audubon Society of Portland, well, for those of you who own farmland, they're going to be telling you what you have to grow. New Oregon Governor Tina Kotek wants to spend a billion dollars in the next two years to preserve and build more affordable housing, funnel almost $10 billion to public schools, which is almost $700 million more than they're getting now, and devote millions to increasing staff at the Oregon State Hospital. That is under her proposed 1165 record-breaking billion-dollar proposed spending plan. Kotek says the housing crisis is one of the largest emergencies we've ever faced in Oregon, and the human suffering it causes to individuals and families and communities is unacceptable. As a result of her focus on that and other priorities, Kotek acknowledged that she had proposed zero funding for major capital improvement projects requested by public universities and community colleges, recommending instead a smaller slate of maintenance projects. And the governor also proposed skipping a normally scheduled payment into the state's reserve funds, which right now sit at about $2 billion, and that's in order to pay for about $765 million of her priorities. Well, the one thing that the Republicans liked about her budget was that she didn't seek to claw back any of the expected $3.6 billion kicker refund to personal income tax payers to pay for any of her priorities. They had figured that, well, that's how she was going to pay for some of it. She didn't mention that she wanted to do that. And while the governor said her proposal didn't rely on new taxes, she did finally admit that she assumed that there would be a passage of a bill that would assign a new phone tax in the state on cell phones as a way to pay for a new 988 hotline aimed at people of cri in crisis. Of course, the budget outlined by Kotek is merely a formality. The legislature actually decides on the budget. And interestingly, while education is getting a huge increase, well, the teachers unions and Oregon school boards are already complaining that that record funding just isn't enough. And part of that money that is supposed to go to preserve housing, that is going to go at least in Kotex's budget, is going to go to paying other people's rent. Well, one of the state's largest unions, AFSCME, has now filed a lawsuit against the state of, the, of Oregon asking a court to force the state to fix problems with its new workday payroll system. I think we talked about this earlier. It went into effect on January 3rd. And state employees, particularly those who work irregular schedules like corrections officers, continue to report unfixed problems. In other words, it's been another Oregon IT disaster. Big surprise. The suit claims the state of Oregon has incorrectly paid thousands of its employees. Among the issues cited in the lawsuit, missing and late paychecks, incorrect pay rates, excess deductions for retirement, deferred compensation, health and dental benefits, charitable contributions and other purposes, and inaccurate wage statements and lack of desire to actually correct the wage statements and a late payment of wages. I'd say that could be an issue. 
Oregon lawmakers considering legislation to rein in soaring prescription drug prices for Oregonians and help rural independent pharmacies stay open. And at the heart of all this would be more controls over what are known as prescription benefit managers. House Bill 2716 would prohibit prescription benefit managers from discriminating against pharmacies that participate in the federal 340B program, which provides patients drugs at discounted prices. Also, House Bill 2725 would prohibit prescription benefits managers from charging fees, certain fees, to rural pharmacies. They can also cause pharmacies to lose money on sales, according to supporters. One of the things to note about some of these prescription benefits managers, well, the prescription benefits managers actually set the price. And one of the biggest prescription benefits managers in the company, Walgreens. Yes, they're the ones that are the middlemen between the drug companies and other pharmacies other than Walgreens. Do you think they might want to favor Walgreens? Oregon lawmakers want to improve transparency in policing. Senate Bill 236, if passed, would require law enforcement agencies to report things like officer-involved shootings within 24 hours to the Oregon Criminal Justice Commission, and that group would put out an annual report. The interesting part of the bill is the bill would require the Department of Justice to create a division to aid and support families of those killed or injured by police. Notice they're not doing anything for victims here. Progressive anti-police activists also want to see an end to things like no-knock warrants and pretextual traffic stops as well. All right, well, this look at the news once again, brought to you by Dr. Michael Bratland, dentist, Chris Dental. All right, Rick, you can go ahead and get real with yourself. <laughs> real with myself. Uh, okay, I found, the, I found the notice from the, the governor of Montana. I received an informal briefing yesterday on the situation involving a suspected Chinese spy balloon flying over Montana. From the spy balloon to the Chinese Communist Party spying on Americans through TikTok, to CCP-linked companies buying American farmland, I'm deeply troubled by the constant stream of alarming developments for our national security. So that's the word from the governor. So for those of you who've been sending me that, um, that's the answer we have. One more item here. Um, I want you to listen to Mark Herbert from our other sponsor, Albert Taylor, Endless Possibilities. What this kind of work offers you is an opportunity to see things from a very, very different perspective. It's something that you will build into your portfolio of life skills and life experiences that will change your outlook, I think, frankly, for the rest of your life. I know that sounds very dramatic, but I think that I think it really is. I think it is very, very real. We are demonstrating that we value this work, not just with words, but also economically and all being able to provide to people a, a place that you can you can make a decent living and, and you can do something that is not only important and meaningful, but you can also provide for your family as well. And so as you go out there, and what I, what I would say to, especially to young people, look at your next steps is, is look, at what, look at what the pandemic should have taught you is that life is very fragile. Things are very fragile. And you're gonna be out there, and you're gonna be working for a long time. And so 
what I would suggest to you is, is choose work that is, that is meaningful. Uh, when you look at it, don't just look at, you know, don't just look at how much money you can make and all those things, but also look at what kind of a legacy am I going to leave? Am I going to make a difference? Very good words. Um, and Mark will be uh, becoming a new sponsor for a book he's written um, on, uh, on all kinds of interesting stuff, uh, but especially uh, has a lot to do with the truth and, and trust and people trusting you as a person. So I'm reading it right now. It's awesome. So he's going to come on once a month and kind of offer some advice, be one of our guests and talk about that. Uh, next, we've got a lot of stuff going on. Um, our, our docket is booked with uh, a lot of stuff that's um, a little bit controversial, but you know, it's what we do well. <laughs> so anyway, share this on your page. Let other people know what you're doing. Um, I, this is we're off tomorrow. So this is uh, our weekend. Have a good weekend. And we will be back on Monday. Um, yeah, we do appreciate you. We really do. Have a good night and a good weekend.